the Sunday Sermons Podcast. Well, once again, welcome. Good morning. It's so great to see uh, so many people here. We're thankful for everybody who's joining us online as well. We'll always be thankful for everyone. Try to say that as often as we can because we mean it. This morning, I want to jump right in. This is the second part of a series called No More Kings. In case you missed the first one or, or, or you just need a reminder, I, I, I need you to know there's one king. We have one king, but that's the point. There's no other kings. We have one king. So any other thing or any other person, any other cause, any other political party, any other anything at all that we put on the same level or even higher than Jesus Christ is unacceptable. We have one king. We're getting rid of all the other ones together. Um, I would like you to start this morning, though, and, and think of something that you're afraid of. I know that's a weird segue, but this is important. What is something that you're really afraid of? And I'm not just talking about like makes you a little skittish, makes you jump, a rat, uh, some sort of bug or a snake or a spider or something. I'm talking about something that literally shuts your life down. Like you, you just can't handle moving on because this thing scares you. Here's one thing I know. Uh, most of our, of our answers will be a little bit different. Here's the other thing I know. Each one of those things you fear the most are things you can't control. Those are the things that we're afraid of the most, are the things that are beyond our control. We're going to jump right into the story of Judges. Last week we looked at Judges 1 and 2, which is kind of an introduction, a forward, a summary. It's kind of an interesting way to start. But it sets up this pattern, and this is the first time we see this pattern actually happening. The first official judge of the story. We're starting in Judges chapter 3, and as always, I, I abbreviate some of these. I barely refer to some of these, but all of the scriptures I'm using are in this sermon outline. You've got a digital one if you're watching at home. Uh, I my hope and prayer is you always go back and reread these later. That you fact check me as you need to. That you actually give the Holy Spirit another chance to speak into your own heart. Speak things that I never thought of. But we're going to just jump right in. So the people of Israel lived among the Canaanites. And they intermarried with them. Israelite sons married their daughters. And Israelite daughters were given in marriage to their sons. And the Israelites served their gods. Notice what's happening here. They're making covenants with these people. They're making lasting, life-shaping, reality-altering relationships with these people. And God's problem, I want to be very, very clear, God's problem is not interracial marriage. God's problem is interreligion marriage. Do you see? They are making alliances with people who do not put their faith in God, who do not believe. In fact, they believe in things that are in direct opposition to God. It's the same concept as in the New Testament where Paul says not to be unequally yoked. Don't tie yourself super tight with anybody who is not a believer because it's going to rip both of your hearts apart. It's not a good idea. That's the problem here, that and also straight up idolatry. The Israelites did evil in the Lord's sight. They forgot about the Lord their God. They served the images of Baal and the Asherah poles. These come back in the story several times. We've got a lot of ground to cover this morning. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time describing those here. Let me tell you at least this. The way they worshipped them was basically an orgy. 
That's one of the many reasons why God was offended by what was happening there. Then the Lord burned with anger against Israel, and he turned them over to King Cushan Rishathaim of Aram Naharaim, and the Israelites served Cushan Rishathaim for eight years. It probably took them at least two or three of those years to learn how to say the guy's name correctly. <laughs> I seriously doubt that I just did, but. There it is, that's his name. But this is where the pattern starts. They reject God, they start serving idols instead, they reject God as their ultimate authority, instead pick other kings. Now another thing you'll hear over and over in Judges is in those days Israel had no king, everyone did as they saw fit. But, but again, we're talking metaphorically here about kings and idols, it's anything besides God. I hope that's clear. But when we are afraid, when we are tempted to just join in with the people around us, when we are tempted to just become, blend in, we must remember that there is one thing that we can actually control in this life. One. That's our own choices. Amen. We can't control what happens to us. We can control how we react. We can't control our own health. We can do certain things that we know tend to make people healthy, avoid certain things that we know tend to make them unhealthy. We don't actually have control. We do have 100% control of how we react, how we use the strength that we have when we stay healthy, and how we react with, when we face sickness. We can't control loss. We can't control to keep everybody we love alive around us. We can control how we react. To those situations. Is this making sense? This is the one thing that we have control over. And here's what we can choose to fear. We can choose to fear God. The Bible tells us that that is the beginning of true wisdom. In fact, let's say that out loud together. We must choose to fear God. Again, on this little outline, whether you're looking at home or you're here, I, th there's three things here that I hope that you will make very personal, either while we're talking here this morning or maybe later on today. But I'd like, you to, I'd like you to say this out loud. Today I choose to fear God more than this. Not out loud to all of us, to God and to you yourself. As Yoda once said, named must your fear be before banish it you can it's good, good advice. Not all of his advice is good, but that one is actually pretty good. If you say the thing that you're afraid of and you surrender that out loud to God and you say, I'm going to choose God, I'm going to fear God more than that, it really helps. Well, let's go on with the story. Judges 3 verse 9. When the people of Israel cried out to the Lord for help, the Lord raised up a rescuer to save him. His name was Othniel, the son of Caleb's younger brother, Kenaz. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he became Israel's judge. He went to war against King Cushan Russia Thaim of Aram, and the Lord gave Othniel victory over him. So there was peace in the land for 40 years, and then Othniel, son of Kenaz, died. So here we have the first pattern, first complete cycle here that you're going to see over and over in Judges. But there's more to this story. I don't know if you noticed or not, but Othniel is related to a guy named Caleb. And they don't even bother with his last name at this point because he was pretty famous in those days. It's kind of like saying Elvis or Adele. You know what I'm talking about? People just know who that person is. So they just said Caleb. Well, Caleb was a big deal. How many know about Joshua and Caleb already? 
Awesome. But it's worth revisiting. It's such a great story. Back in Numbers, chapter 13. When they first got up to the promised land, God told Moses to send 12 spies into the land. And God's, it's really clear in the text that God's idea here was that they get hyped up. That they go into the promised land and they see just how amazing it is. And they come back with evidence and they go, look, look, look what God's about to give us. But Moses complicates things unnecessarily. He goes, hey, while you're at it, I need you to see how big the people are, what kind of weapons they have, how fortified are their cities. We need to like know exactly what we're getting into. You see the problem? That didn't really matter. God was giving them this land. It didn't matter what they were facing. The, the fact was, God was going to give it to them. But when these spies all come back, they give their report. And ten of them exaggerate things. They make it sound even worse than it even is. There, there were some people there, and that's where the title of this sermon comes from. They're called the Sons of Anak. Anak was a giant. These guys were huge. Imagine an entire group of people, three tribes of people, all about the size of maybe Shaquille O'Neal or somebody like that. You know what I'm saying? Just everybody's big. It's scary. It's weird. I wouldn't want to go against them. And one-on-one, -on -one we couldn't. But that's not the point. Two of the men who had explored the land, Joshua, son of Nun, and Caleb, son of Japhune, they still needed his last name back then, tore their clothing. They said to all the people of Israel, the land we traveled through and explored is a wonderful land. And if the Lord is pleased with us, he will bring us safely into that land and give it to us. It is a rich land flowing with milk and honey. Do not rebel against the Lord and don't be afraid of the people of the land. They are only helpless prey to us. They have no protection. But the Lord is with us. Don't be afraid of them. But the whole community began to talk about stoning Joshua and Caleb. Then the glorious presence of the Lord appeared to all the Israelites at the tabernacle. This is a big moment in Israel's history. Because this was one more time, and I told you about this last week, and I'll remind you several more times. This was one more time where they hit the last chance. They got to the last moment. Time had run out, and God was mad. This is a big thing that we misunderstand far too often. We, we, our patience and our love and our compassion and our mercy and our capacity to forgive is so much smaller than God's that His seems just limitless to us. It seems like it literally has no end. But the scriptures clearly tell us that it does. There, there is a spot. It's way further than we can even imagine sometimes. But there is a spot where we run out of time. There is a spot where we run out of grace. There is a spot where God says, fine, do it your way. See what happens. And it's a very dangerous spot to be. This is one of those. At this moment, he straight up killed the ten spies who had brought back a bad report, and he condemns the people of Israel to 40 years of just wandering around in the wilderness till that entire generation died. He said, I'm going to give your kids another chance because I still believe in this. I'm still going to send a Messiah through your people someday, but not, not you guys, not this generation. Your time is up. May we never get to a spot like that. 
So in Joshua 14, we see, we're fast-forwarding through, we see them taking over Canaan, at least most of it. And then Caleb comes to Joshua. They're the only two that are left. Now, Joshua is the leader of Israel. Caleb is one of their champions. They spent about five years conquering Canaan. And he comes to Joshua and he says, Hey, uh, I'm ready now to go claim my territory. Here's what I want. I want the place where the sons of Anak live. I'm going to go fight the giants. Me and my family are going to go get those giants that everybody else was so scared of. And Joshua goes, go for it. Have fun. God's going to give it to you. And they do. There's actually just a couple of verses about that story. There's not even a lot of details. Because Caleb acted in faith and him and his family just went and conquered all the giants. End of story. Boom. Because they trusted in God. Were those giants scary? Yes. Were they probably a little bit afraid? Absolutely. But they were more afraid of God. And well, they should be. So in Joshua 15, and then in Judges 1, we got a little taste of this last week, and we're going to look a little bit more of it today. Then after they beat the giants, now they go back to helping Israel fight a few more battles. From there they went to fight against the people living in the town of Debir. And Caleb said, I will give my daughter Aksa in marriage to the one who attacks and captures Kiriath Sefer. Othniel, remember that guy? We just talked about him. Here's how their stories merge. Othniel, the son of Caleb's younger brother Kenaz, was, one of the, was the one who conquered it. So Aksa became Othniel's wife. Now, one thing I need to make really clear here too, because it's so easy to miss some of the beauty in the Old Testament because our culture is so different. I, like you, am a little uncomfortable with arranged marriage, the idea of arranged marriage. And I'm really uncomfortable with offering your daughter as a trophy or a prize. Does that sound, am I, am I the only one in here? But there was something really cool going on here that in their culture, it's hard to see because we're so pushing hard against that stuff. And well, we should. But watch what he's actually doing here. This is Caleb. This is the guy who knows that God is going to help them win. As long as they keep fighting the battles God wants them to win, they are going to win. All he's doing here is using his, in their culture, his responsibility as a godly, loving father to find a good, godly, brave husband for his wife. That's what he's actually doing here. This is not offering her as a trophy. He's trying to find a guy who's worthy. That's a really big difference. He knows that whoever signs up is going to win the fight. And he's given his daughter to that guy. It's a totally different culture, but that's what's happening here. We know this a little bit more also because of what happens in the next couple verses. In those days, they didn't pass on deeds to property or anything like that to women. Again, we're going to come back to that in the next couple of weeks. We'll talk about how God actually himself sees women and how wonderful and beautiful he thinks they are. But in that culture, that's not how it, watched, how it worked. But watch what happens. When Aksa married Othniel, she urged him to ask her father for a field. As she got down off her donkey, Caleb asked her, what's the matter? See, there's a loving daughter-dad relationship. She's not screaming at him, how dare you offer me as a trophy? Useless. That, that's not what's going on here. This is loving. What's the matter? She said, let me have another gift. You've already given me land in the Negev. Now please give me springs of water too. So Caleb gave her the upper and lower springs. 
See, Caleb didn't care what everybody thought. He only cared about what God thought. He was willing to follow traditions when tradition worked for him, and he was willing to break it whenever need be. He's one of my biggest heroes in the Bible, actually. He knew that his daughter was much more than just a trophy. He treated her that way, even though it kind of, at a quick glance, looks like he's not. I just wanted to point that out. We're going to move on. Here's one of the worst things that we can possibly follow instead of God is our own heart. And let's be honest, that's the reason why arranged marriages scare us and bother us so much. How dare you make that choice for someone else? How dare you tell somebody who they're supposed to love and who they may not love? How dare you? You need to follow your heart. The heart knows what it wants. Ever heard this before? Well, I don't know about y'all, but my heart is an idiot. I'm just telling you right now, I look back at some of the things that my heart wanted, and I go, seriously? And I look back at some of the things that left me heart broken and actually just shredded my heart, and I go, thank God that's how that actually worked out. If we follow our heart, we're nuts. Your heart is not reliable. How many of you guys have a GPS in your phone? Do you have a GPS? GPSs are cool because they tell you where you should go. How many have an app? I do not have this app. Uh, I think it's called Life360. Anybody got that? It's, it's so you can spy on people, track people. And you know, you, <clears throat> you know exactly where they are and how fast they're going and what they ate for breakfast and all kinds of stuff. Life 360, Life 360 is cool if that's what you're into, but it's not a good way to tell you where you're supposed to go. It just tells you where you are. Are you hearing what I'm telling you? That's what our hearts are supposed to be. Our hearts are a combination, biblically speaking, our hearts are a combination of all the emotions, all the things we were born into, the things we were just, that's how we're made, all the things we've been taught, all the things we've chosen to believe, the things we've chosen not to believe. It's all of this. Our hearts are a great tool that lets us know exactly, exactly where we are at any given moment. They're a lousy tool for showing us where we should go or what is right or what is wrong. And if we ever measure our heart equal or higher than Jesus, that's insane. We don't follow our hearts. We follow Jesus. There's several passages in here. I hope you have time to go back and read it. But when we follow a heart, Paul says in Romans 1, God actually just eventually gives us over and lets us just do whatever we want and face the consequences. In Genesis 6, we see that God let, saw that all humanity had gotten to a spot where every inclination of their heart was evil. And that's why he destroyed them with a the flood. Jeremiah says that the heart is deceitful above all things. In Proverbs 7, when the writer is talking about being careful not to get lured into adultery, he says, do not let your heart follow her. There's a choice we can make. We can choose to follow our hearts or choose not to. And the wise choice is not to. You know what God would like you to do with your heart? Love the Lord your God with all your heart and all your soul and all your mind and all your strength and love your neighbor as yourself. Sorry. No, I'm not. 
I'm just telling you the truth, and I'm speaking it in love. And if it doesn't sound like that, please forgive me, but I'm just telling you the truth in love. And here's the second thing we've got to do. If we really want to face the giants, whether they be our own hearts, whether they be something out in the culture, something out, whatever those giants may be, we must choose to trust God. Again, the only thing we can control is what we choose to do. So we can choose to trust God. Let's say that out loud together. We must choose to trust God. A couple weeks ago, somebody gave me a book that's amazing. It's really helping me. It's called Getting Unbusy by Dr. Garland Vance. And in that book, he quotes a Navy SEAL who wrote a book about fear. So I'm quoting both Garland Vance and Brandon Webb at this moment. But this is, I just had to share this with you. This is cool. He says, you might think that big decisions, potentially life-altering decisions, arise out of courage. They don't. It's the other way around. The strength and the courage to keep going arise out of the decision. The decision comes first. And that is the truth. And if you don't believe me, ask Dr. Garland Vance and a Navy SEAL. Or look in God's word. Proverbs 3, verses 5 to 7 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways submit to him, and he will make your paths straight. Don't be impressed with your own wisdom. Instead, fear the Lord and turn away from evil. And the third thing we've got to do, we've absolutely got to do if we want to conquer the territory that God wants us to conquer in our world, is we must choose to follow through. Did you say that out loud? We must choose to follow through. Now don't get me wrong, I, I love it when people really get excited and make a commitment. I love it when people come forward. It doesn't happen near often enough, but I love it when it happens. I love it. And I'm tempted, just like every other preacher, to kind of milk the invitation every time. You know what I'm talking about. I know there's someone out there today. You know what I'm saying? God is telling me that there's somebody here who needs to give their life back to Jesus this morning. We're not going to stop this song until that person comes forward. It's a huge temptation. Huge temptation. You're not going to see that here, and here's why. God calls somebody else to do it that way, great. Maybe they'll reach somebody that I don't reach. But here, here's what I know. God only cares about the big emotional decisions we make if we follow through on them. Amen. God's dream is not that you come down an aisle and cry and make a prayer or even get baptized or something really big and biblical. What he wants is that you become a Christ follower and follow him the rest of your life. That you join the team and you actually help all of us and every other church in the world that's trying to follow him get the job done. That's what God wants. That's why God, at a moment, one of the few moments where Israel was really laying it all before him and saying, we're going to follow you, we're going to keep this covenant. He said, oh, that they would always have hearts like this. That they might fear me and obey all my commands. If they did, they and their descendants would prosper forever. That's why Joshua said things like this. So fear the Lord and serve him wholeheartedly. Put away forever the idols your ancestors worshipped when they lived beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt. Serve the Lord alone. You probably heard FDR's famous quote, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. Have you heard that? The rest of the quote is even better than that little thing. 
that little soundbite is cool, but listen to the context. He says, the only thing we have to fear is fear itself. That nameless, unreasoning, unjustified terror which paralyzes needed efforts to convert retreat into advance. I'm going to read that one more time because that's powerful. He defines fear as the nameless, unreasoning, unjustified terror which parlays needed efforts to convert retreat into advance. In other words, it's not the emotion of fear. It's not the fear that your heart naturally generates and can sometimes be a good thing. That's not what he's talking about. He's talking about the kind of fear that keeps you from getting done what needs to get done. It's the kind of fear that makes you back off when you know there's a right thing to do and you don't. The thing that makes you back off when you know there's something in your life that's got to stop. It's coming between you and God and it's got to stop. And you back off and you don't actually confront that thing. That's the fear that is the king, the idol that we're really fighting. That's the fear that really kept Israel from fighting the sons of Anak and made it so easy for Caleb to fight them. And for him and Othniel to team up and fight all the other battles they fought together. And for Othniel to do the stuff he did that he didn't even need Caleb for. It's because they knew that their real enemy was the fear. And they put their fear into God instead. We can do the same thing. One more Yoda. Do or do not. There is no try. Probably the only other really wise thing he ever said, but they both fit, and I wanted to share them with you today. Here's here's what Yoda means by this, and here's what I mean by this. You don't just, well, I think I'll try and get around to it. You do it or you don't. He's not talking about success or failure. To do something God tells you to do doesn't necessarily mean you're going to win. Did you know that? Sometimes God leads us into places where it doesn't turn out anything like we think it will. Anything like we imagine a good God would lead us into. That's not the point. We choose to follow him regardless. We choose to trust him regardless. We choose to fear him more than whatever we fear he may or may not allow on the other side of us obeying. We just do it. Is this making sense? As we wrap up this morning... I just want to open my heart to you and invite you to maybe pray for me, pray for us as a church. I just want to let you know some of the things that I struggle with fear about and some things that I think that we should be, these are some territories we should be claiming. It it scares me on behalf of this whole generation that a lot of lies, a lot of absolute nonsense are being taught as truth some of them are actually being trying to make into laws that scares me it doesn't really scare me for myself because if it becomes illegal to be a christian it's always christians have been persecuted since there's ever been christians i think we'll be all right if they kill us all i think we'll all end up in heaven i'm not worried about that i'm worried about all the people that will believe those lies and believe them more than they believe the truth of god's word and miss the chance to live life the way God designed it to live. I'm worried about a whole generation that's going to believe that the Bible is nonsense and that God is not real. 
and all this other stuff that they're being told is real. And that scares me to death. And it scares me that this goes out on the internet and somebody's probably watching it right now and they might shut it down and it won't even go on YouTube. But you know what? I fear God more than I fear that. And I think every person who is here today knows, and anybody who's watching today, I hope you know, we're speaking the truth in love. This is not a hate group. This is not a bigoted group. This is not anything about us trying to be better than anybody else. We're just pointing people to Jesus. Here's some territory that I think God is leading us into. Church should always be the safest place, not just Morrison Hill, every church should be the safest place for people who are really struggling in life, people who really do have issues, people who have doubts and fears, people who are angry at God, people who are really struggling with who they are and what they believe. It should always be the safest place, not the most scary and dangerous place to go. I think that's possible. I think we can do that. I think we've done that to a large degree in this church. And I'm thankful for that. But I think we could, we could do that even better. Martin Luther King said many years ago that church remained in his day the most segregated spot in America every Sunday morning. And sadly, that's still pretty true today. We're making some progress, but let me tell you something. Church should be the least segregated spot on the planet ever. We can make that happen. We're afraid of the powers that be. We're afraid of facing the consequences of bad decisions on every side of every issue. We're afraid of taking a stand. We're afraid of all these things. But you know what? I, I choose to trust God. I think you guys do too. And I think if every single one of us raise our children to love everybody, raise our church people to love everybody, all of us intentionally reach out, this could change. There's no giant too big for God. There's a lot of giants way too big for us, but not for God. And our fear of but what would happen, and what would that look like, and what would people do, and how would that... I, I don't know. I don't care, honestly. We just do what God is telling us to do. And we choose to follow through. We choose to fear God. We choose to trust God, and we choose to follow through. So I'm inviting you to follow through this morning. Maybe you need to make one of those emotional decisions this morning. Maybe there's no emotion at all, but you need to come forward and just pray. Maybe you need to give your life to Jesus for the first time. Maybe you've never repented of your sins and gotten baptized and de de dedicated your entire life, the whole rest of your life, every minute of every day, the rest of your life to being a Christ follower. Maybe that's never happened. It needs to. He is the only king worth following, and I invite you to do that today. We can make it happen today. The water is warm and clean, and there's changes of clothes and towels back there, and there's a lot of welcoming and loving people here to encourage you. Maybe you need to give your life back to Jesus. Maybe God is asking you to formally join our, our, our church, which literally just means we say the good confession together and say, welcome to the team. That's literally it. You don't have to sign anything. You don't have to renounce anybody. Maybe that's you this morning. I don't know, but here's, here's what I'm saying. If the only reason you're not coming forward today is because of fear, beat that giant. You hear me? God is bigger than any giant there is. Don't let your heart, don't let your fear of any other giant there may be keep you from doing what he's calling you to do this morning.
Let's stand and let's sing to him.